Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together and we have some great people helping us along the way. Now, parents, much to their surprise, have a great influence on their kids' attitudes and values around sex, body exploration, and relationships. While kids might tell you that they absolutely, positively, 100% do not want to talk to their parents, of all people, about sex or dating, the studies reveal something completely different. Perhaps you remember when we had Richard Weisbord of Harvard University on the show, and he told us that the research continually shows that kids want to have these conversations with their parents, and not just once. They want to have lots of conversations about this information over time, over and over again. They want the knowledge, and they want the guidance. Now, I know we've talked about the topic of sex before on the show. We've talked to Dina Alexander, Richard Weisberg, uh, Peggy Orenstein, Karen Natterson, Bonnie J. Ruff, about how we can get at this difficult topic. We've also talked to Gail Dines about pornography and how that fits into the discussion. But you know what? I think we're still uncomfortable about this topic. Would you agree? And as I'm currently writing the chapter of my book, how to talk to kids about anything, on talking to kids about sex and synthesizing the research, all the hours of interviews we've done on this show about this topic and telling you my own tips and scripts and stories and steps, I thought, let's bring someone in who can answer some of our toughest questions that we've been posing on the show, that you've been posing uh, in on my Facebook site, on Instagram. Let's get it out there. Questions that make us squeamish and yet, we still need to answer them for the health and well-being of our kids. So are you ready? I am too. So let's do this together. Today we have Dr. Logan Levkoff on the show. Logan Levkoff is an internationally recognized expert on sexuality and relationships, and she encourages honest conversation about sexuality and the role it plays in our culture. Logan makes it clear that sex and sexuality are not dirty words. She works to create an environment where people feel comfortable asking and getting answers to their most personal questions. That's why we're having her on the show. Logan empowers children, adolescents, and adults to embrace their sexuality and challenge the impractical and often unhealthy messages that they are exposed to. Logan frequently appears on TV, including Good Morning America, The Today Show, The Rachel Ray Show, the CBS Early Show, Oprah, Fox News Channel, and CNN. She was the host of Cafe Mom's show, Mom Ed in the Bedroom, the sexuality expert for the first three seasons of the break- breakout hit for A&E, FYI, Married at First Sight, 
and is the host of Shape Magazine's video series, The Sexpert. Logan is the author of several books, including Got Teens, The Doctor Mom's Guide to Sexuality, Social Media, and Other Adolescent Realities, uh, alongside Dr. Jennifer Wider. She lives in New York City with her husband, son, and daughter. I want to welcome you, Logan, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm thrilled to have you. This is such a great topic. Honestly, the first time I ever interviewed somebody on this, I felt like I wanted to hide under my desk. I have now since emerged, but it's still a difficult topic. And I know that it's a topic that people get really squeamish about. But before we get into the thick of things, and there's a lot to get through, can you tell us what gets you up in the morning? And what got you so interested in educating people about sex, sexuality, and the culture of sex in today's society? <laughs> I think you started with the toughest one, I think. Um, what gets me up in the morning? Um, I think I get up every morning to deconstruct the traditional sexual double standard. Mm. Um, I, I feel like this, this old paradigm that we have used for years and years and years, if not since the beginning of time, that suggests that based on someone's sex or gender, uh, the rules, the responsibilities, the equity around sex is different, um, has never worked. I think it is the root cause of so many problems mm. in our world. Uh, so I wake up every day to make sure that people know that the, those those old scripts and expectations do not have to reflect who we are or how we see ourselves. So that that's my, that's my motivation for getting up in the morning, um, you know, and aside from the fact that I have, you know, two teenagers at home mm -hmm. who, you know, need to be fed. That's, yes. that's the other. <laughs> yes. And they <laughs> do the get other. hungry. Yeah. It's very, very hungry. Every uh, single day. <laughs> um, you know, as for why this was an important issue for me, you know, I, I grew up, um, I grew up in the 80s and early 90s, mm -hmm. and my parents became incredibly involved in education and fundraising around HIV and AIDS awareness. And it was this like breathtaking blip in time where even if you hadn't talked to your kids about sex before, you were talking about condoms mm -hmm. and you were talking about HIV. And so I, I was the beneficiary of that. Uh, I came home after school one day when I was in high school and there were condoms and bananas on our dinner table. <laughs> And my parents said, this is how you use a condom. And next week, you are going to start training to become a peer HIV and AIDS educator. Um, and so I was always raised to, to feel really empowered by this voice that I had and, and never to be ashamed of my, you know, my thoughts and what I was going to say and how I was going to say it. And, and I found that I had a talent, I suppose, for talking about provocative subjects and making them feel far more comfortable and accessible to people. And so I thought I went to college to become a lawyer. And here I am. Um, and I'm not a lawyer. No. And we're so glad that you went in the direction you did, because I think that that is your talent, that you are able to answer these awkward questions. And before we jump into my first question, I do want to ask you about that situation where you had bananas and condoms on your table, because I want to find out, like, is that something you'd suggest that parents do? Like, what what can we glean from that particular circumstance that your parents had right then and there in your house? <laughs> Well, I have to say, I, I think I was surprised, but but I guess not really, not really shocked because I knew what they were, you know, getting involved in from a from an educational and, and charitable perspective. 
I do think that when we talk about providing information to our young people, and I'll use that young people phrase like mm-hmm. as broadly as possible, right. um, it's not just information and values that we impart. We do have to impart skills as well, whether those are relationship and negotiation skills, whether that's how to access healthcare and STI testing skills, and also how to use condoms and other form of contraception skills. Um, I think that we tend to forget the skill piece of it, even the shopping piece, whether it's shopping for deodorant, shopping for bras, shopping for tampons, shopping for condoms. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Those are really critically important skills. And I think we tend to focus on the information and not always the actionable items. Yeah, I had a friend of mine who mentioned fairly recently that she she knew her son was getting some education in school, sex ed, but they never did that. They never talked about the skill of putting a condom on. So she actually ordered condoms and brought home bananas and did exactly <laughs> what you just mentioned. And her her son was like a little, again, taken aback, shocked, you know, that kind of thing. But she felt like, how can you not teach this skill as part of sex ed? So then that does become the parents' uh, wheelhouse that they should be talking to their kids and showing their kids how to use contraception and how to use all the things you just mentioned that we need to shop for. I, I do believe so. I mean, look, there there are some, I, I work in a lot of schools and there are some schools that, uh, you know, I can absolutely do condom demonstrations and conversations. And then some places where for a range of reasons I can't mm-hmm. or don't have the ability to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes schools do it, okay. but I would say that this is, this is where the the parent and guardian piece of education is so so important that the best sex ed programs are those that partner with your community at large. And so parents really should ask these questions of, of the programs that their kids are, are involved in because really, as sexuality educators, we're merely supplementing what parents are doing at home all of the time. I think oftentimes people flip it and think that, we are the ones that are solely responsible, but we, we get limited time with young people. Um, most of it falls on parents and, and caregivers to do the work. So mm-hmm. find out what's being done and then don't be don't be afraid to, to actually, you know, show the skills, go shopping, see what the, the products are. There, there are so many innovations particularly with condoms and other sexual health products that, you know, if you haven't used one or seen one in two decades, they're going to be different. So it's a learn. It's a great learning experience mm-hmm. for everyone. This is really great. And it does set the tone for our, our awkward questions that are coming your way, um, which probably aren't so awkward for you because you've heard them. But our podcast today really is about answering the toughest, most awkward questions about sex, about sexuality, about relationships that kids might ask. And I'm going to personally put my big girl pants on and and I'm asking my listeners to do the same. I, I know you're probably like running and you're listening on, on in your car, uh, but we're going to, you know, get into it. The key here is that we really want to get as comfortable as we can in order to be strong, truthful, helpful resources, given what you're saying, that we really need to be on the front lines. So let's dip our first toe in, okay, and not talk about something too crazy. We'll talk about puberty. 
Now, the puberty video that was shown in my kid's school, even if I mention it, like even if the, my, you know, we mention it in my, in my house, it's become sort of a joke in our house. It can lead to like uncomfortable smirks, yells of protest, like, come on, no, not there again. <laughs> and even like laughter as my kids start humming this little ditty that went with it. It was like, just around the corner, you know, and they like <laughs> laugh and like they go crazy. So for those who are listening... What would you say are like the top five things that our parents, our caregivers should be relaying to our girls about puberty, to our boys about puberty, and maybe kids in general, especially because kids are thinking about gender in such different ways that I don't even know if I should be saying boys versus girls. Let's talk about it. What should we be saying? Yes. So I think that we could really link it into the five the five things that impact everyone because I, the the way I often teach and the way I encourage parents to think about these issues is that the majority of changes that take place during puberty happen to everyone. Mm, okay. <laughs> Most of what we have we have in common. So I, I think starting from a place that regardless of you know what your assigned sex is, regardless of how you identify your gender, there are things that happen to all of us. Okay. And the reason for that I, I, I think. It really fosters a sense of empathy and respect. And I never really understood why, you know, boys went to one side and girls yes, went to the other. Yes, right. Yeah. had to be different. Um, I don't think that was ever helpful. And I'm certain that there are probably some people I went to fifth grade with who are still very, very confused about menstruation. Um, right. <laughs> and they don't need to be, right? And, and they don't need to be. So I think the first piece is that these transitions that our bodies go through, uh, most of most of what happens we sh- we have in common. And for the few things that are different, the really interesting thing is that they happen for the same reasons. Because the, the purpose of puberty is to activate your reproductive system to give you options in the future, right? Mm. It doesn't mean you all have to use your body in a reproductive way, but it's, it's to give your body certain choices. Um, so I, I think that those are the two pieces. I think that there's also a piece that has to be talked about that all bodies have the innate capacity for pleasure. We do young people a huge disservice by focusing a lot of time on you know, erections and ejaculation as being this amazing pleasurable experience for you know one half of the population in a classroom and then saying, oh, but you know, it's all about reproductive potential for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, the interesting thing is that, you know, the, the, the clitoris has erectile tissue in it. It's from the same tissue that either, you know, in utero, it either becomes the clitoris or it becomes the penis. So technically, if you have a vulva and vagina, you have erectile tissue too. We just don't see it the same way. Mm-hmm. So again, I mean, if we, if we focus on the similarities and shared experiences, I think we develop a, a, a great deal of, of respect for each other. And, and I think acknowledging that that puberty is a is a complicated time because you're navigating physical changes, emotional changes, and social changes. But to really focus on the positives of of you know what what we can do moving forward, you know our sense of independence, our our perhaps our need for privacy and 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 understanding ourselves before we share our bodies with the with the world around us. Um, this this can be an incredible time as long as we have information. Okay, excellent. This is really important. And I feel like, you know, if we can impart the knowledge in the way that you're explaining it, 
it, it makes it a lot easier. You know, I, I think that when we're start to piece it out so much, it can get really hard and we feel like I can't say these words and how, you know, how am I supposed to talk to my son about this when I'm, I'm haven't gone through the same things that he has gone, he's going to be going through as he's going into middle school or my husband to be thinking, I can't talk to my daughter about this because I didn't go through the same things. It, it really unites us all and says, you know, these are things that we've all been going through. And yes, it may show in a different way um, in your body, but really we're all on the same path. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I never want people to, to feel like they are not entitled or don't have a perspective that's that's relevant for a young person because they maybe didn't have the same parts. Um, all of our perspectives are valuable. I mean, we, we can role model for others how to how to be treated, how to respect people's bodies, how, how to engage in healthy relationships. Our words and our experiences still matter, even if they aren't going to be identical. And the one thing that I always ask all of my adult groups to do is to to think about your own upbringing um to spend some time really thinking about the the messages that you got about sex and sexuality and bodies growing up and then the second part is to think about how might your life how might your experiences have been different if the information you received was Mm -hmm. different and I, I think that for me that's the the mantra i want parents and caregivers to always think about um because that's the motivation for doing things a bit differently if we if we didn't get the best information, to push ourselves through the discomfort because we know what's at stake. So if our child is you know, at the point where we see, you know, we've just taken them to the doctor and the doctor says, okay, your child is starting to go through puberty. I think you really should start talking about more related to this. What might be something that you feel like we should absolutely be saying to our child who is just now starting to embark on puberty so that they don't feel so awkward and alone? I, the first thing we acknowledge is that that they, they are about to embark on a time, <laughs> this, this amazing transitional time that is not an overnight change. I think that, and I see it with my students all the time, when I ask them how long does puberty take, they always think it's one year. <laughs> you know, mm. it's like magical one year. Right. And then I get them to think about this idea that it's actually five to seven years and there are a lot of things going on, not always visible to, to mm-hmm, the eye. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's a long process. So I, I think it's a ma- about saying your body, your feelings, you are going to embark on this time that takes a lot of years, but you are going to start to change into a more mature person. You are still, you know, you are still my child or my teenager. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not throwing you to the wolves Mm -hmm. just yet. Um, but, but this is a journey and this is a journey where you're going to have a lot of questions and a lot of new feelings. And please know that I am going to be here to help you navigate that time. And if I don't have the answers to your questions, I am committed to getting them for you. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, I'm going to say that that was our easy question for today. So let's move on to some of, you know, the most awkward inquiries. In the chapter that I'm currently writing on how to talk to kids about sex, I found it really interesting as I just started contemplating defining sex, both for yourself as a parent and for a child who may want to know what is sex. Like when you think about sex, some people are really just thinking about sexual intercourse. 
And I'm thinking that the danger to that is that when we're only talking about intercourse as what is defined as sex between a man and a woman specifically, that kids get the message that the other stuff, like the kissing, the touching, oral, anal, that's all not sex. And is that really the message we want to send? So (laughs) as a sexologist, how can we define sex for ourselves as well as our children in a way that is more inclusive and embodies what it really is? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And it's a question that I ask every single group that I work with to think about what is sex. Mm. And exactly what you're saying comes up, which is we have this assumption that if someone uses the word sex, we're talking about penis and vagina intercourse. And yeah, sure, that's a type of sex. But I, I, I like to define sex as a range of behaviors in which people share their bodies with one another. Mm-hmm. And that could be genital-genital, genital-oral, genital-anal. Um, But the idea is that sex describes something that is deeply personal and intimate, um, something that comes with the capacity for pleasure and also comes with these, you know, big responsibilities. So I don't see it as a hierarchy that some things count more as sex than Mm -hmm. others. I certainly don't want to be heteronormative and suggest that's the only, you know, the only people capable of having sex are heterosexual people. but also for, for all of the reasons you said earlier is that all of these ways that we share our bodies are are deeply personal and intimate and they should be pleasurable. Um, and we should think of them in terms of how do we manage outcomes? How do we make smart decisions? Um, how do we negotiate these behaviors? They're not all that different. I mean, the only thing that's different is pregnancy. Mm. But, you know, that's when you think of it that way, most of the most of the potential outcomes, and I say outcomes and not consequences, um, because some are positive, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, are really the same. Aside from pregnancy, that's the only one. Mm. I think that's really interesting how you're putting it so frankly and specifically, because it, it is really the truth. And I think if we start to wrap our brains around a more inclusive view of what sex is, then we're able to talk to our kids about all of it. Now, the uncomfortable part is then actually saying these words, right? Like actually saying to our child when they ask what sex is. And sometimes I would say like the first question, I mean, in my house, and I'm sure this is not always the same, but the first question in my house was, you know, but how how does the baby get in there? So it was related to pregnancy. But in that very first conversation with my daughter who had asked that question, she did want to know, like, is that the only time that you do have sex? So I did have to go into more of the, you know, what you do for pleasure, connection, romance, you know, all of that as well. And actually, it was my favorite part of the conversation. I was just uh, such a, I just consider it such an honor that I got to have that conversation with my child. But how do we then talk about all these other pieces when they I mean honestly it makes us want to like hide under the table to be talking (laughs) about oral sex or anal sex or whatever else it may be especially if I and I would imagine uh, there are some people who would be listening to this or like I don't even think that that's okay for somebody to do like they have a value or moral view that that is that is not okay so how can we how what are the questions that we can ask or what kind of information or scripts can we give to parents who now feel like they need to talk about this 
Well, the first thing is really to ask their kids what they think sex is, because mm -hmm. the likelihood is that they've probably been exposed to certain information or messages that maybe are aligned with your values, but maybe are not. And it's important just to, to, to find out what they know or obviously what they think they know, because strategically it gives you time to craft your answer um, and also tells you what, what, what gaps you need to, mm. to fill in for them. Um, so th there's that. But I think that you can give facts and values at the same time. Um, and you can acknowledge the discomfort that you feel. I, I, I think that we've done a huge disservice by, by thinking that as parents, we have to be, <laughs> we have to be perfect. Right. <laughs> we have and so comfortable with everything, right? Yeah. yeah. And we can say, look, I, I want to talk to you about this. And I think you're ready to have these conversations. I want you to know that I didn't have these conversations and some of this is new to me, but I know how important it is. So I'm going to push through the discomfort mm -hmm. because I know that you deserve the information. Mm. And then really you can say anything after that. Yeah, love it. I think that's amazing. All right, so let's talk masturbation. Um, those of you know people who are driving in a car right now while listening to this <laughs> podcast, like I'm so sorry, I'm just being so jarring. Uh, but I think the, what an incredible opportunity we have here to get these really uncomfortable and awkward conversations answered by somebody who knows so much about it. So masturbation and body exploration for many kids is something that happens, and it's super awkward to bring up for many people. Sometimes we have to because we want them to do it in private and they're not. Um, if they are doing it, we want them to know some facts about it. And there are so many myths around masturbation that need to be dispelled. So let's play a game of fact, fiction, <laughs> and phraseology so that we know what's true, what's a lie, and what we actually should be said, saying. Okay, so are you ready? I, I'm ready. You're I ready. I'm ready. You're ready. Okay, you're born ready, right? At least by age 15, you were ready to have like all these conversations once your parents opened up all <laughs> this for you. Something like that. Something like this. Okay. So some people may have heard that kids who masturbate are possessed, have been sexually abused, are dirty, will go blind if they do it too much, lack a moral compass. Is there, is there any fact in all of this? Is there? Is this complete fiction? And what should we actually say to our kids about people who masturbate? Ah, complete fiction, all of it, all of it. <laughs> Every last, I mean, I, I couldn't even say that stronger. I'm, I'm <laughs> with a million exclamation points after it. Um, just, just to give you some scientific information, there are images of fetal masturbation. Mm. Mm. So it's not. Right. So no one is no one is possessed. <laughs> um, no one is. I mean, obviously, as a someone in the sex world, I I hate the word dirty because it, it's it creates this binary like goodness and badness, mm -hmm. cleanliness and dirtiness, which mm -hmm. has never been a word used to describe people's sexuality. Mm -hmm. um, being curious about your body is is basically almost one of the tenets of being a human being. Mm -hmm. uh, we have all of these parts, and not just genitals, like head to toe, that all have the capacity for pleasure. And that's actually a good thing. It's a good thing because it means that none of us ever have to be dependent on another person to give us pleasure. We don't have to seek it out from someone else or seek out un unhealthy or unequal partnerships because we we know what our bodies are capable of um and, and i think that that's a 
It's a really powerful statement that people forget. You know, oftentimes we are raised to think that there is some magical window, magical age, magical relationship in which all of a sudden you are deemed a sexual being and someone else flips that switch in you. Um, and that's actually never worked. <laughs> it's never true and it, it, it doesn't work. I would say that there are, regardless of how comfortable you are or not with masturbation, um, it is a very typical part of human development at all stages of life. And there are some big benefits to it, which is this, what I basically said before, which is you understand what your body is capable of. You understand what the norm is for your body, how your body typically feels and, and, and what it looks like and how you experience certain things. And from a medical health perspective, it is really hard to know when things are off or unusual for your body if you do not know what the norm is. Yeah. Um, and we, we tend to forget that. Yeah, that's really powerful. And what would you say we should say to our kids about masturbation is it that just what you said like this is completely normal at all stages of life like is this the kind of thing we should be saying or are there other things we should say I think we can be saying that there if there hasn't already there may come a time where you are incredibly curious about your body what it feels like what it can do and and please know that it is you know it is your right in the in a space that is personal and private to you that feels comfortable to you to to explore that body and it is completely normal if you do it is completely normal if you don't um you know but but this is also a time not just when they're little and it's obviously very hard at least until the age of five you can tell it you can tell a toddler to stop with their hands down their pants at the dinner table a million times and it, it's right. not going to change truth right um, you know, but as we approach as we approach puberty, we are talking about privacy and that we are all entitled to some privacy. And it's a good time to set some rules around knocking on doors for ourselves, too, by the way, as, as adults. Very right? I mean, point. how many times has someone like barged in the door on Absolutely. you? Um, so we can really set up this conversation in terms of you are deserving of some privacy. You you have the freedom to explore your body in ways that that feel right to you. Um, you know, and there's nothing wrong with being curious about, you know, your genitals and how they work. Okay, so how about this for fact fiction and phraseology? Many people have expressed that young children should not touch their bodies, explore their bodies or masturbate. It's actually often thought of as too sexual for a young child to be doing something like that. Fact fiction and how do we talk about this with our kids? Absolutely fiction. Um, absolutely fiction. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we we have parts that feel good. I mean, and and most of us at any moment in our in our day, you know, if I, I'm sitting here and I like, you know, rub my hand, you know, I I have certain nerve endings on my mm -hmm. body, and it's not because I'm I'm you know doing something to be deliberately explicitly sexual or you know erogenous mm -hmm. in, in any way. Um, that's the that's that's the first piece of it. The other thing that I think we, we tend to deliberately um, forget is that we are all sexual beings from birth to death. Mm. We always have a sexuality. We express that sexuality differently throughout our lives, but people typically have a hard time thinking of children as sexual beings because in, in our head we conflate that with being deliberately actively sexual. Mm. 
And I would say that masturbation as an adult or as an older teen might be deliberately sexual, but oftentimes for young people, it's soothing, it's exploration, it's not it's not the the way we see it as adults. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then. I'll give this one as the last one. Some religions posit that masturbation is simply wrong, so that body exploration and masturbation should make somebody feel guilty or shameful. Fact, fiction, and how do we talk about that with our kids? So obviously, I, I, I don't know if we can answer that as a fact or fiction, mm-hmm. because I mean, yes, there are, I mean, there are lots of religious, spiritual, cultural values around masturbation, and I am certainly... Um, you're never going to be tell tell anyone that they're not entitled to have those exactly values. true. What I what I would say, however, is there is a difference between giving young people your family's values versus lying to them. Mm-hmm. So you can say we we don't believe in these things or we don't support them because our religious values are X, Y, and Z, but you can't say you know, they are going to go blind, they're going to grow hair on their palms, Mm -hmm. you know, they're not going to be successful in life because they explore their bodies. Um, And, and and the, the, well, the reason for that is that obviously facts are important. And in 2021, I I keep reminding myself that facts are important. Mm -hmm. Facts are important. Um, And because they will figure it out. And if they find out that we have lied to them, either deliberately or inadvertently, we really do lose future lose future conversations mm-hmm. with them, um, and and that would be a shame for everyone involved. We we might not feel the same thing about about you know certain behaviors or experiences, but we never want the young people in our life to think that we have deliberately set them up for failure in some way. Okay, so I I think that's really important because you're you're talking about trust here, and we want to have lots of conversations about this. So we just talked about masturbation. So I'm going to just add in a question about erections, because for especially for our kids who are like going into middle school, and this is like the erection sort of sometimes just happen, you know, without their consent, and so they're. They do have questions about it. We've certainly started talking about it in my house, courtesy of the puberty film that, you know, came my kid's way. And uh, so what is it that we should be talking about with our kids about erections so that they're not caught off guard and feel like something's wrong with them? Well, the likelihood is they if if you have a penis and we'll talk about erections in terms of penises and mm-hmm. like e- external um because obviously people with clitorises are not going to see it the same exact right. way right um the likelihood is they know that their penis has the ability to get hard and sometimes sticks out mm-hmm. right i mean it ha- happens from be before birth but mm-hmm. you know happens mm-hmm. through, happens throughout throughout one's life mm-hmm. so i think it's a matter of saying you know, do you know why changes happen to the mm-hmm. penis? And, you know, you are going to notice that during these next few years, there are going to be lots of moments where you don't control what your penis does and it gets hard. Mm-hmm. And the reason for it is that it's made up of this spongy tissue. And when blood rushes into that tissue, if you think of a sponge, a sponge will absorb water and expand. The penis absorbs that blood and expands and causes it to get hard. And 
it's going to happen at a time that's convenient for you and it is going to happen at a time that is totally inconvenient <laughs> oh. for you. <laughs> um, but you know, let's, let's think about strategies and I ask my students to do this and we talk about it with what if you get your first period at school and you're not prepared? You know, what if you have an erection in school? What, what can you do? You know, wait a few minutes, hold, you know, walk when you're walking in the halls, you know, put a notebook in front of you. Um, you know, all, strategies so that they feel more comfortable um, because these things do happen. They do. Um, and this is part of teaching respect and empathy. And it's also about explaining to people who aren't going to have erections the same exact way that there is going to be a time where you see that someone has an erection and it's it's not like a bad thing and it's not their fault, but don't make them feel badly about it. Right, right. Absolutely. And it, it's that's one of the reasons why we don't want to be constantly separating the girls and the boys from each other, right? Because... You know, there's there's these things that happen and then the, the girls, you know, aren't getting the same education about the boys. The boys aren't getting the same education about the girls. And then where are they when menstruation happens, when erections happen and they they can't be empathetic, sympathetic and commiserate in any way. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's, uh, you know, my, my goal is to, to raise a generation of, um, you know, people who are, who, who identify as male, who are capable of buying uh, tampons for the, right. <laughs> for the menstruators in their life, absolutely. right, without, without shame. <laughs> right, absolutely. Now, I could go into like a million more things, but I think we're going to have to bring you back on the show because there's like so much more that I want to talk about having to do with sexuality and consent and relationships. But I think we just need to bring you back for that. So for now, can you give us your top tip? What do you hope we walk away with if we were going to say we are going to start being open and talking to our kids about sex? What do you want? us to come away with from this conversation so that we are able to do it in the best way possible with the best intentions. I think there are two, there are two things that if I could impart, Mm -hmm. I I think we have to, I I want us to focus on this idea of sexuality being a pleasurable part of our lives and and an, and an empowering part of our lives. But it's pleasurable emotionally, it's pleasurable physically, but that happens when we have the tools to understand our body. Um, and and it's hard to do that if you don't, right? Because then there's guilt and there's shame and, and lack of knowledge, you know, perpetuates it. So I, I always want us to be positive and empowering in our messages. And instead of thinking about development and growing up as this, you know, horrible cursed time to say, yeah, you know, it is confusing. And there are certain things that I'm not sure are ever really going to be great, like pimples, mm. <laughs> right? That's never going to be like a great thing that we all celebrate. But, but we, we all do experience it, but there is so much in, in growing up and understanding your body and having your body work in these new ways and, and giving you choices that, that for the future, that, that should feel good and empowering. And it might not happen right now. Um, but you will. I promise you, you will. Right. <laughs> so that's the first piece. And and the second one is, I often am asked by, by parents, um, you know, what if my young people don't want to talk to me? Yes. And my, my snarky answer, um, my first, the, the first snarky answer is, well, that's too bad for them. <laughs> but, the second, <laughs> but the second part is really that what, what I want parents and guardians to be doing is, is saying, look, I, I know that you might not be comfortable right now having this conversation with me. Um, 
you know, and, and maybe we find another time to do it. And let's say you do find another time to say, you know, I get it. You know a lot. You've gotten this information from schools and from friends and from a whole host of sources that I'm not sure that I, I know about. Um, but I really want to have these conversations with you, less for you and more for me. Because when I signed up to become a parent, I made certain promises. I made certain promises that I was going to help create a generation of young people who felt empowered by their sexuality, who knew how to make good decisions. And so that's on me. And I have not done my job if I am not sending you into the world with those tools. And, and, and it's not, I mean, it's not simply strategy, right? It's, it's true. And it's very hard for a young person to say, okay, please don't do that. Right. Because it's you're you're really putting some of the onus on you as the adult to do the things that you are responsible for doing. Um, and hopefully that reframes all of the conversations. Oh, I love that. That is extremely helpful. I'm sure people are going to be saying that basically verbatim. Please is, do. is it is it fair to say if your child is like, I really don't want to talk to you about this, is it fair for parents to be to say, look, I really need to impart this information. I'm happy to talk to you about it. I'm happy to show you uh, age appropriate videos about it. I'm happy to give you a book about it. And then you can ask questions like is there are other ways of getting the information to our kids when they literally are looking at us like deer in the headlights or do we just leave it that way and keep talking regardless? I think that we can do all of the above. Mm -hmm. I think we can give them tools and say, I, I'm going to give you these resources. You know, I, I'm going to, I want us to have a conversation, you know, at, at a time that's comfortable for you about some of these things. Mm -hmm. um, I think also, look, I want to recognize that, you know, not every adult has wonderful, consensual, equitable experiences growing up. And for some people, they absolutely cannot have these conversations with their young people. True. And so the other thing I want to empower is, you know, you can also have a if you absolutely cannot have some of these conversations, you can have a proxy. Yeah. I mean, there are other adults in our lives that we adore and that our kids adore and respect who who we can trust to have these conversations mm -hmm. if we really can't do it. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, there are a lot of nuances to this. But, but the one thing I want to say is we put so much pressure on ourselves to get these things right and do it perfectly. And, and no one does, mm -hmm. no one does. Um, we all make mistakes, but the, the, the learning and the growth comes in acknowledging to our young people, we make mistakes and maybe I didn't give you great information before, but I'm committed to fixing it. <laughs> I'm committed to fixing it because I want to do better. This is so, so great. Thank you for giving that little caveat, because I know a lot of people put so much pressure on themselves. And it is, it's great that we're even having these conversations. Like we are light years away from where we were, I think. <laughs> right? I mean, when we weren't talking about it at all. Uh, give us the resource of the week. Where can we go to get more information about you and the great work you're doing? Oh, thank you. Well, you can always reach me at loganlevkoff.com and Logan Levkoff on you know numerous social media um, platforms. And there are some great, great resources for families. Amaze.org is yes. one of them. It has incredible Agreed. videos for a variety of ages, a variety of subjects. And, you know, you my, my kids have always loved them. You can watch them together. You can watch them separately. They can inspire conversation and dialogue. It's it's they're great because again, no one expects you to do everything on your own. We should use everything available to us. And there's a lot of material out there. 
Agreed. And that's what I was mentioning about age appropriate videos. I was literally thinking about Amaze because I agree with you. They have some really wonderful videos with this topic in mind. I am so excited to have you on the show. And I just want to thank you so very much for your strategies, for your scripting, for your calming presence in this very awkward field. And and just want to thank you for being on the show today. Well, thank you for giving me the the platform to to speak about the things that I love. I I recognize that um, I I am not typical in my ability to be super comfortable talking to young people about these things, but I would would promise you that there are plenty of things that I cannot talk about. So it's just not the sex one. Well, I'm appreciative and we have lots of great podcasts with amazing, amazing (laughs) guests who can help you with all of those. So, but thank you so much for being on the show. And, and I feel like, you know, you've given us a lot to think about. So I have got my takeaways and sweet friends, I know you have yours. So let's discuss them. You can come up on Facebook, go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page, or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. I'm also on Instagram under Dr. Robin Silverman. And Logan and I are going to be going back and forth, sharing some of the memes, because I'm going to be taking those quotes that she's been saying today and slapping them on memes so that you can deliver them to your friends, put them up on your social media, share them with people, because I know that these are the things that we need to share. These are the things that people need to hear and be able to say in their own homes. And if you'd go up to iTunes and rate and review this podcast, I can't tell you how much it means to me. It makes such a difference. And if you could do that for me, I'm telling you, these five-star reviews have made my day and they've really helped. So thank you for getting it out there. That's all the time we have for today, my fellow parents, leaders, and educators. Thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. There's so many great podcasts, and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this, you're here, you're getting the information you need. And I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. I know you may have heard something today and you're slapping your head and you're saying, I said that wrong. I didn't do that right. I haven't had this conversation. Don't do that to yourself. You're here and I get it. We can try again tomorrow. I see you and I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you're 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.